Let us begin our sermon with prayer. God of all grace, you formed us to love your teachings and to meditate upon them day and night. We ask that you bless the words of today's sermon, that we may be confident of the salvation your Son has won for us, certain of the hope your Holy Spirit created in us, and eager to live according to your will, so that we may reflect your grace to others and glorify you each day of our lives. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 21. This is what the Lord says, who makes a road through the sea and a path through mighty waters, who brings out the chariot and the horses, the army and the strong warrior. They will all lie down together. They will not get up. They are extinguished. Like a wick they go out. Do not remember the former things. Do not keep thinking about ancient things. Watch, I'm about to do a new thing. Now it will spring up. Don't you know about it? Indeed, I will make a road in the wilderness. In the wasteland, I will make rivers. The wild animals, the jackals and ostriches will honor me because I'm providing water in the wilderness, rivers in a parched wasteland to provide water for my chosen people to drink. This people that I formed for myself will declare my praise. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God sent the prophet Isaiah to warn the people of Israel You keep chasing after false gods. I've allowed the Assyrians to come, and they took the northern kingdom, and you still haven't learned your lesson. So Isaiah would prophesy about the coming of Babylon, and he would prophesy about the coming Persians and Cyrus who would allow them to return and rebuild the temple. A hundred and fifty years before the Babylonians come, Isaiah in our text gives them the wonderful picture using Babylon, using the return from Babylon, and there was a desert in between, using that return as a picture of the deliverance he's going to work for all people. And so today, as we look at Isaiah's prophecy, we see God works something new. Well, when we think of deliverance, we have to think of the great foreshadow, the great foreshadow that happened when he delivered the people out of Egypt. And so verse 16 says, this is what the Lord has spoken. The one who puts a road in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and mighty. They are lying down together. They are not rising. They are extinguished like a flax wick. They are snuffed out. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you were an Israelite and you thought of God's deliverance, you thought of that delivery out of Egypt. Every plague was a strike against one or more of their gods, showing their gods were powerless. In fact, we know they didn't even exist other than people's imagination. But the last thing that happens when when the people of Egypt and even Pharaoh said, fine, we've had enough, go, get out of here, get out of our country while we still have something left, Pharaoh changes his mind. At that time, and it would remain for nearly a thousand years, one of the greatest armies, but at that time, the greatest army, pursues the people of Israel. How does God preserve his people? He parts the Red Sea, he dries the ground underneath, and the Israelites walk on dry ground. He makes a path right across the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his army chases after them, and God uses that water to swallow up Pharaoh's army. Have you ever blown out a candle? Pretty easy to do. Gone. But you know, there are those trick candles that you can put on kids' birthday cakes if you're really mean or ornery, and they light back up. How do you put those candles out? You have to get the wick wet. 
God took into God's comparison, the Egyptian army was nothing. It was just one little flickering of flame in the candle. And then he used the Red Sea just to squash the whole thing like nothing. No problem for him. So that's what you would think about if you were an Old Testament Israelite when you thought of God's deliverance. And it truly was a foreshadow of the deliverance he was going to bring because he delivered the people of Israel out of slavery. But see, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, anybody who does not have faith in in us in our natural condition in which we're conceived in are slaves to the devil. And the devil doesn't love you. The devil wants to see your eternal destruction. All he wants to do is to destroy any good thing God has made. Now, God's already defeated the devil. We're about to get into that. But because we're slaves to the devil, we're slaves to death. And of course, we have that puppet of the devil, our own sinful nature. And it's always telling us to run from God. It's always telling us to tell God how to be God. So God is using the backdrop of slavery that the Israelites had in Egypt. And he's reminding them of they're going to be delivered out of Babylon. And he's going to deliver them too. But all that is a foreshadowing of the great deliverance that's going to come 700 years after the prophet Isaiah. Verse 18 says, you should not remember the former things and you should not pay attention to these things long past. Why would God tell him to forget that? What he's saying is don't focus on that. That's not the big deliverance. That's just the shadow. And so he says in verse 19, pay close attention as I on my part am doing a new thing. It's now sprouting. Like a plant here, I've started to notice some of the plants in my backyard that that Pastor Spouty before me had planted tulips and these green buds are starting to poke out of the earth. Prayerfully, they don't get destroyed this week with the snow. But even as Isaiah prophesies, and it's 700 years away, it's starting to sprout. How is that? Well, David's already recorded Psalm 22, which gives us the clearest picture of Christ on the cross. God is preserving that bloodline of David, who was a descendant of Judah, who was a descendant of Abraham, because God promised that the Savior would be a descendant of Abraham. And he's already working through the Babylons and then the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans. He's got it all planned out for that right time when the Savior will take on human flesh. And he already knows about those who will betray him. He's already planned out how he is going to put himself on the New Testament altar as a sacrifice for our sins. And so he says, don't you know this? God had made those promises and and through prophets like Isaiah, he clarified more and more about the coming Savior. The temple and all the sacrifices, all an Israelite had to do was stand at that temple and say, all this tells me my sins need to be atoned for. It reminds me of God's presence that the Lamb of God is coming to take away the sins of the world. So he says, yes, I'm setting a road in the wilderness, rivers and wasteland. Before God put a road on the water... And now he's going to do more than just put a road through that desert that would lead them from Babylon back to Israel. He's going to bring water. He's going to make the wasteland flourish because it needs water. This is the good news of our deliverance from sin, death, and the devil. It's unlike any other deliverance. Forget about its foreshadows. This is something totally different, something totally new, something no human being would think of. And so Jesus gives that warning in our gospel lesson in Luke chapter 20, verses 17 through 18. 
Yet Jesus stared directly at them and said, Then why is it that this passage has been written? The stone the builders threw out after considering useless. This very stone became the head of the corner. Everyone who collapses on that very same stone will be shattered to pieces, and whoever the stone falls upon it will crush him into powder. If you resist Christ, you're going to end up in hell. But Christ has offered salvation for the world, yet we have to trip on it, brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to see that we need a Savior. And to see a Savior, we have to see that sinful nature. We have to see our slavery to the devil. Literally, in the inspired Greek that Luke writes in, that, was, that, that, that stone is a cornerstone, the head of the corner. You bring two walls together, you use it to form a 90. The law tells us what holiness is, and if we think one sinful thought ever, the law damns us to hell. The gospel tells us God is our Savior and we're eternally saved. And the only way those two can come together, because they're diametrically opposed, is in that chief cornerstone that is Christ. He's making a building here, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we trip over it and it shatters all of our pride, the Holy Spirit puts us on top of that chief cornerstone that is Christ, and he forms the invisible church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is foolishness to the world. The world would say, I have to earn my righteousness. If God's going to give me the most important thing, eternal life, I have to earn it and show him. If I want something from God, I've got to do something for God. But did you hear what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, the second half of verse 9, our epistle lesson? Not having my own righteousness, namely a righteousness from the law, but a righteousness through faith in Christ, namely the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. God has worked out our deliverance from the devil by taking on our human flesh and making us holy and giving us his righteousness and taking away our unrighteousness and taking the punishment our sins deserve. And so he's freed us from our slavery of death because we now know we have eternal life. The devil, what does he do? One of the names for devil is accuser. He sits there and accuses you of your sins. There's the sin, there's the sin. And God says, nope, it's gone. And he hates the fact that he's lost you because he wants you to burn eternally in hell. Oh, you have that sinful nature and it's certainly his puppet. But by Christ giving you faith, sending the Holy Spirit through that message, he's given you the new man. This is not at all the way the world would think about deliverance from that kind of slavery. They'd make it some Herculean task you had to do in order to be saved. But God says, don't you worry about that. I did all of it. I took on human flesh. I did it for you. I send the messenger with the word and I send the Holy Spirit to work through that word. So we see God works something new. It's unlike any other deliverance. And it's the only deliverance that truly matters. Like I said, God has given you the faith and placed you on that cornerstone. He's made you part of that temple because he's got a building project. Verse 19 says... Pay close attention. I, on my part, am doing a new thing. It's now sprouting. Don't you know this? Yes, I'm setting a road in the wilderness, rivers in the wasteland, once again bringing life where there was no life. Salvation was not just meant for the people who were descendants of Abraham. The rest of the world was a wasteland. They didn't know of the coming Savior. Their ancestors had forgotten about God and chased after false gods. And I always think, as Isaiah prophesies this, if you have European ancestry, your ancestors were pretty far away from Israel. And yet God, at some point in time, would bring the waters of his word. The water that brings life. 
Because that water shows us the law, showing us we need holiness, but then it tells us God was holy in our place. It gives life because the Holy Spirit works through that water, the water of the word, to create and sustain your faith. It's why you're here this morning. But let's not forget some more water. When you were brought to the baptismal font and that water was poured upon you and you were told, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that life-giving Spirit sealed Himself in your heart. And He said, you are going to have to really fight hard to kill me in your heart. And then He combines that word with the bread and the wine and you get to taste that deliverance. Literally digest the yumminess of it. This is unlike any other thing, but he's done all of that to give you life. He's making a different kind of people. So he says, beasts of the fields and jackals and and the ostrich keep on glorifying me because I provide waters in the wilderness. If we were writing this in modern day, Wyoming has its deserts. He would say the coyote and the owl. I never knew that ostriches made a noise. They can inflate their neck and they make this weird noise. When you're out in the desert... And you hear the coyotes howling. And you hear the owl going, whoo. It's lonely. It seems desolate. Suddenly they're meant to bring praise. God has brought that good news of salvation to you and I, to the wasteland. And he's given us life. And now we've gone from the loneliness of sin. We see that the things we would embrace, the the things we would let have the place in our heart that belong only to God, those things are lonely and they'll lead to an eternal destruction. And so we praise the Lord for having saved us when we knew no better. God says, rivers in the wasteland to give drink for my people, my chosen ones. A people who I form for myself, they keep on counting up and describing my praise. Talk to you about being bricks put upon that cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. You form the temple. You form the kingdom of God. When Jesus stood before Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world because it's a different kind of people. It's not based on race nationality, location, it transcends all of those. He draws people from all over the world and gives them faith in that Savior and they become priests. They don't just make the temple of God, they get to serve the temple of God by counting up and describing God's praise. That's an accounting term. When at the end of the year you add up the books and you say whether we had a profitable year or not, how do you count up? You look at your sins and you see their forgiveness. You look at the, all the way God works in your life, which without faith you can't see that. And you're happy to tell that with the neighbor. You're happy to share your experience. You're happy to tell others the good news of forgiveness. So you make up that new building of the Lord and then you also serve it by sharing the good news of forgiveness in Christ, especially as you have seen God at work in your life, but primarily using His Word, that life-giving water, inviting people to the waters of baptism so that they can grow and know the Lord and have that nourishment and taste the good news of forgiveness in the Lord's Supper. Brothers and sisters in Christ, using the backdrop of what's going to happen 150 years later, the return from Babylon, which would also involve crossing a desert, God uses that to show he's doing a new thing, something totally new. It's unlike any other deliverance because it's eternal deliverance. It's God taking on human flesh. He's our savior. And therefore, it's unlike any other people. It's meant for all people of all time. And it transcends cultures 
as he makes those who trust in his deliverance, his people, his priests, his temple. Amen. Now praise the one who breaks the darkness. Praise the one who brings cool water to the desert's burning sand. From this well comes living water, quenching thirst in every land. Amen.